comic who wants to take your comedy to the next level, sometimes you need a little help. And that's where the Clean Comedy Challenge comes into play. This is Leslie Norris Townsend, and I'm the creator and producer of this challenging event. This year, we have three different locations, each with a cash prize. Two of the three are full-blown three-day events with seminars, critiques, and performances in a real comedy club. Past attendees include Johnny W., Charlene May, Andy Medango, Marty Simpson, and Mike Paramar, all who are now full-time comedians. So if you're ready to take advice from the pros and perform in a real comedy club, go to cleancomedychallenge.com. It's not where you start, it's where you finish. And don't forget to mention Rick Roberts' School of Laughs, so I know where you came from. Welcome to the School of Laughs podcast, brought to you by schooloflaughs.com. Whether you're an aspiring comedian, a part-time pro, or a speaker who wants to become funnier, this is the podcast for you. We'll break down tools, tips, and techniques to help you get bigger, better, and more bookable. And now, here's the show. Welcome to the show. Rick Roberts here, and we've got a fun kind of quick episode today where I answer some frequently asked questions from some students that were taking one of my recent classes. We passed the old microphone around. They asked a few questions, and I told them I would get the answers to them on a future podcast, and the future is now. Hey, I do want to thank the Clean Comedy Challenge for sponsoring the podcast. If you want to get involved with that, check out cleancomedychallenge.com. From all accounts, it's a well-run event, and you get your money's worth as far as feedback and stage time. So take advantage of that. You can find out more details at cleancomedychallenge.com or on the show notes for this episode at schooloflast.com. Also, thanks to Sean Sellers, who's my Patreon supporter of this episode. If you are a Patreon supporter at 7 bucks a month or more, you can look forward to our next Club 52 Hangout. That's our video conference call. That'll be happening on Sunday, March 4th at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. So again, that's Sunday, March 4th, the very next Sunday after this episode releases. Uh, March 4th at 2 p.m. Central Standard Time. You automatically get an invitation to that by email about 15 to 20 minutes before we kick it off. So if you have questions you want answered in that hangout, Club 52 folks, make sure you have them ready to go. Or you can even send them to me ahead of time at schooloflaughs at gmail.com. Enough rambling now. I'll tell you about some uh, local appearances here in Nashville as well as appearances in Grand Rapids and Holly Springs, North Carolina at the end of this episode. And again, information on those appearances are in the show notes. Right now, let's get into the episode and answer some of these frequently asked questions. So my name is Matt. And the question I have is, whenever you finally get good at writing, how do you find your comedic voice and um, how do you find the cadence at which you want to perform? Matt, that's a great question. Uh, Kind of two questions in there. One, how do you find your comedic voice? And part two, how do you describe what cadence or determine what cadence you want to deliver your material with? Uh, Let's go with part one first. How do you discover your comedic voice? What does that feel like? When does that happen? It happens at different points for everybody. Uh, Like most comedy uh, conundrums, they're all on different schedules for different people. Finding your own comedic voice, uh, for me, I'll just give you what I know, it took me many years because I think when you first start comedy, you try on 
different hats. Uh, you, you somewhat, whether you realize it or not, are impersonating comedians you've listened to before, and you're kind of emulating their style because that's your template. That's your tricycle, if you will, for kind of getting moving in the comedy direction. You don't want to stay on that tricycle for very long, but having that tricycle, that template, uh, gives you some kind of, I guess, comfort on stage and some kind of recognizability as far as what comedy is like. Uh, for me, those things, uh, boy, I varied. I tried a lot of different things. That when I first started, uh, from Andrew Dice Clay to, uh, I guess I was a little bit of Steve Martin was the guy that I wanted to be like and found out pretty quickly that uh, he's a very unique guy and it's pretty hard to pull that off. Uh, there weren't too many other comics that I followed at the time. You know, a lot of guys now will uh, do a David Tell or a, a Mitch Hedberg kind of thing when they first start. Uh, Kevin Hart, I see a lot of people stepping into that pace, Chris Rock. But those are those guys' uh, personas, and that's their point of view, and that's their cadence, if you will, which is part of our, our question as well. So it's, it takes a little while to figure it out. How do you figure it out? It's just up again, get on stage, record, listen back. Get on stage, record, listen back. You'll start to notice your better shows have a few things in common. That might be your pacing. It might be your articulation. It might be that you're dialed in that day. If the only times you have great shows are when everybody has great shows, you're just stepping into an environment that's extremely friendly. And that's another thing that kind of threw me off early on. I would occasionally get a set at the uh, full-time comedy club in Columbus where I started at the Funny Bone, and it would go great. But you know what? All the sets there went great because it was a killer room and it was really hard to mess it up. Uh, you take some of that same material and go to a, a one-nighter somewhere in the middle of the country or down the road at a, a bar or tavern and you don't get any laughs. Well, it doesn't mean that material is horrible, but it means that you need to connect with your audience in a way that you can turn any night into a great night, into a great show. When you start doing that, I think you can look at your material, listen back, and start to discover where your point of view is. The tricky thing with all this is your joke writing skills will develop over time. So you don't have that full steam ahead when you first start. You're just kind of trying to figure it out. And so trying to figure out a joke, how to write it, how to perform it, as well as your point of view, that's a lot for a beginning comic. And that's why it can take, you know, you always hear that term seven years of going at it hard and full time uh, before you kind of stumble into your comedic voice. My comedic voice now is way different than it was at the beginning, even five years ago. It changes uh, as I grow older and grow um, more experienced in life, I guess you could say. You have a wider perspective on how everybody feels about things, and you can step into a singular perspective on how you feel about it, where you fit in these things. Best thing you can always do is put yourself in every joke. If I'm talking about Donald Trump and doing a material about him, uh, I can do whatever I want, but if I don't put myself in the joke and dictate to the audience how this joke affects me, then I'm not in the joke, and my point of view really isn't in the joke either. So hopefully that's not too confusing. Your second part of the question was about cadence. That also will be determined over time and will change over time. Uh, I was lightning fast early on, which I thought was the goal, uh, to get as many jokes into the show as possible. As I got further along, I realized it's not how many jokes I get into the show, it's how many jokes the audience gets in my show. So if I wasn't giving them time to process it and laugh and give me the full response that the joke dictated, I was cutting the audience short. So early on, I didn't care. I just wanted to get quick laugh, quick laugh, quick laugh, quick laugh. Now it's more about 
crystal clear setup, crystal clear punchline with a good strong misdirection, and then enjoy the laughter before hitting it with the taglines. Your style, your comedic voice, your cadence, that will all change over time. I guess the key for your cadence right now is to make sure that it's quick enough that the audience isn't bored, but not so fast that they can't understand and process what you're saying. Hey, thanks, Matt. That was a great question, and I'm sure other people were wondering the same thing. Let's take another question. My name is Terrence, and I'd like to know, how do you describe the feeling when you hit your stride, when you first fell into your groove as a comedian, and you were sure that you have arrived where you want to be? Terrence, that's a great question. Uh, How do you describe the feeling when you found out where you're supposed to be in comedy, you feel like you've arrived and you hit your stride? Well, I'll be honest. There's been 30 different... (laughs) 30 different points where I felt like I've arrived and I've hit my stride. And then uh, a year later, I'm like, oh, well, that's I arrived there, but that's not my final destination. So here we go again. Let's start up the old comedy caravan and and start rolling it towards my next goal. And uh, that's true. It may not be true for every comic listening. It may not be true for you. So uh, first response, I guess, to your question would be the feeling is temporary. It's satisfying. You feel like you've accomplished something. You've reached a certain set of goals. So you do feel relief about that. But you also feel, okay, I've gotten to this point. Now I've got to kick it into the next level. For example, you might be uh, a zero response open micer at first. You get up there, you tell jokes, zero response from the audience, which I guess is better than a negative response, but not much better. Then you get to the point where, hey, I'm doing pretty good at every open mic. You might feel, hey, I've arrived. I've got the the feeling and the flow down of a stand-up comedian. And then you have a few more open mics and it, it goes bad again. And so you're not consistent. Then you might finally get it to where you're crushing at every open mic. Every little showcase you do seems to be going well. And you get an opportunity to do MC work where you're thrown in the fire in front of a, a full crowd for 15 minutes. And... Where you start there and where you end there could take four to five years of development from where you first got your first MC gig and you feel, hey, I did pretty good at that. Four or five years later, when you're moving maybe out of MCing and towards feature work, you're like, oh, man, I thought I knew what I was doing back then in the day. But you develop over time. So each little step where you feel like you've arrived, uh, it really is a step. Think of a staircase. Uh, think of those rocky staircases in Philly where he goes up uh, in his sweatsuit and jogs all the way to the top of that thing. Each step, hey, that's success, that's moving forward, but there's another step to take, and another step, and another step. And the further you get up those staircases, uh, the more work offstage is required to keep that momentum going, to satisfy your clients, and to bring on new ones, and get more booking. So, hey, it feels great to do that, to make different uh, strides, but it's also a temporary thing. So celebrate it, enjoy it, but realize there's more steps to take. All right, that was a great question, Terrence. Let's move ahead to another one. My name is Mike. Um, as you uh, progress through your career and you get more and more popular and you, you get busier, when do you get to the point where you decide that you need help from an agent? How do you know when you need help from an agent? Great question. A question that everybody hopes they need an answer to at some point. And again, it's going to vary. There are different types of agents. There are agencies. So let me kind of break that down real quick. So agencies, there's booking agencies out there that book a comedy club room. They might book a a full-time comedy club. They might book a series of one-nighters and they are looking for comedians to place into those showrooms. So to get into those showrooms, you need 
those agencies to book you in there. May not be a specific agent at the agencies, although most of them do have a, a club booker, a corporate booker, those kinds of things. So you're going to want help from them. Uh, you want to connect with those folks. Ideally, you will find somebody that they're already booking, that you've worked with several times, that likes what you're doing, and you can ask that person to you know, contact the agency on your behalf, the booking agency, and see if they can get you in those rooms. Those comics that you've developed relationships also might just bring you on as their opening act uh, and kind of eliminate the middleman of the agency in a way as far as taking that job uh, away from them. Let me, let me explain that a better way. So if, if you knew a comic that was working for a booking agency and you wanted to get into one of their rooms, you might ask that comic to put in a good word for you. And that comic may also just say, hey, and tell the booking agency, I would like Rick Roberts to open for me on the dates I worked with you guys. And if that's okay with the agency, they might say, hey, fine, go ahead. That's one less comic we got to find to put with you. That happens more often than you would think, but not all the time. I might like you to open for me, but the agency may not like your comedy or may not think you're a good fit or may have heard negative things about you and still not uh, satisfy my request to have you work for me. So there are cases where you need an agent. You need an agent to get some deals, uh, some comedy festivals, some TV work. So it'll be pretty apparent that you're um, really kicking it pretty hard in your comedy to not only yourself, but the uh, booking agents that book that club, the club managers, club owners, and they'll start sharing your name because when they talk to each other, they're always asking, you know, who have you seen on the come up that's doing really well that I should know about? They'll mention your name and maybe you'll get contacted by one of those agencies. In reality, you usually put forth the first effort to make that contact, especially with the booking agencies, to try to get that work. And then you try to do great shows to keep that work. A specific agent, if you're going to sign with an agent at one of the bigger agencies like CAA or one of those deals, William Morris, uh, that agent will intervene on your behalf at the request of your manager usually to handle different deals and uh, negotiate prices for you. So that's typically a long way down the road for most comics and not necessary for most comics. In fact, if the first thing you think when you pursue comedy is I need to get an agent and a manager and then get some stage time. All that's completely backwards. You need to get so much stage time, do so well, be so on the tips of everybody's tongues that they're talking about you, that agents will start inquiring about you and trying to help you out. So there you go. Long answer to a short question. Again, it varies, but when you find your, your workload is booked heavy and you need some help getting to the next level, that's typically when you go search for an agent. All right, I think we have one more question from Terrence before we head out the door today. Let's see what Terrence has for us. Can you describe your very first heckling experience? My very first heckling experience was probably my very first time on stage. And how did I handle it? I didn't even know I was handling it because I didn't even know I was on stage. <laughs> how about that for an answer? Yeah, my very first time, it's been well documented here on the podcast, but I went to a place to do comedy called The Lobby in Columbus, Ohio. And I didn't know I was going to do comedy. I actually went there to play guitar. I'd seen in the, in the newspaper, the Columbus Dispatch, that there was an open stage night. And to me, that meant what it meant to me in college, that you bring a guitar or you read a poem or something, and you go up there like a talent show and do your thing. And so when I uh, saw that, I grabbed my guitar, had a couple songs ready to go, went to the place to do comedy 
but not really. I was going there to do music. And after I got done, they told me it was a comedy night. And I nearly fainted and passed out and threw up all at the same time. So when I was on stage doing my seven-minute set, I was doing songs, and I let off with Bridge Over Troubled Water <laughs> from Simon and Garfunkel, because I'm not quite that old, but I'm not quite that young. And it was greeted by silence, which I guess was my first thing of heckling. They uh, did not respond, so that was a cold shoulder. Again, I didn't know I was doing comedy, so I just took that as, hey, at least they're not booing, and uh, I'll keep doing another song. Kicked it up a notch with Born to be Wild, to which a couple people clapped at the end, and one guy yelled out something uh, I can't even repeat on my own podcast. Basically, when's the comedy start? I'll just paraphrase that way. And I'm like, what? I didn't know it was supposed to be funny. And then I played a, a song I written in, I had written in college that was kind of funny, and a few people laughed, and I got off stage, and that's when the MC told me, hey, this is a comedy night, not just a uh, guitar sing-along powwow. And so uh, that was the first of many heckling experiences uh, over the years. I just learned to deal with them kind of spot specific. If I could think of something in the moment to uh, say back to that person based on what they said to me, that was always the best scenario. And then I also wrote a bunch of comeback lines to have in my back pocket in case I couldn't think of something at the time. You know, if they were, uh, and there are different types of hecklers. We talk about it in my performance class and writing class kind of in great detail. But you've got to come at hecklers differently based on how they're coming at you and what their intent is. And the best way to avoid heckling, in short, is to know your material, be funny, be tight, don't ramble, get to the point, and get to the next point. If you do that, if you take control of the show, you have least, you have fewer people heckling you. There's always going to be some people that are trying to get the best of you no matter what. But if you're in control, know your material, have rehearsed it to the point where you can forget it, then uh, when you get on stage, you're not rattled by the heckler, and you can kind of have at them, have some fun, shut them down, and then move on to your next joke. All right, I think that's going to do it for today. If you are interested in learning more about booking agencies, check out episode 78, Booking Agency Insights with Tim Grable. Uh, Tim runs the Grable Agency, the Grable Group right here in Nashville, Tennessee. I just worked a gig for him here about a week ago. He has uh, good connections and really shared a lot of insight on that episode. So, Mike, I think it was that asked the question, if you want to learn more and and get some in-depth information, check out episode 78, Booking Agency Insights. And before I let you go today, I do want to mention a few places where I'll be performing where you can come out and check out the show. It's uh, public appearances, not usually my thing. I'm usually a private corporate kind of guy, but here are three shows you can come and check me out at. The first, March 2nd, that's a Friday. That's the day after release of this podcast. I'll be at the Holly Springs Cultural Center with Brian Bates. You can call for tickets 919-567-4000. We have a 7 o'clock and a 9 o'clock show. show will be clean. Laugh Fest, Grand Rapids. You can check this out, laughfestgr.org. Laugh Fest in Grand Rapids, March 17th, a 2 o'clock p.m. show. It's a Christian comedy show at the uh, Fountain Street Church. That's going to be a great afternoon show. Tickets are moving pretty good for that. So if you want to get in on that, make sure you uh, log on online to uh, laughfestgr.org and pick up some tickets there. And Huckabee. I do the audience warm-up at Huckabee when I'm not on the road, and I happen to be home on March 23rd and 30th this this month. You can catch me there. Tickets are easy and free to get. You just go to www.showclicks.com 
forward slash event forward slash Huckabee. Pick up your free tickets. Come out and uh, see me, see the show. They always have great guests, excellent music, and I have a lot of fun warming up on that show. You can get all that information at rickroberts.com under my, uh, what do you call it, the latest news blog. That'll have links you can click to get tickets. Again, thanks to the Clean Comedy Challenge and Sean Sellers for sponsoring the episode. And thanks to all my students for those great questions. Hope you guys uh, picked up a couple of tidbits you can use. And I'll talk to you again soon. Don't forget Club 52 Hangout, March 4th, 2 p.m. Central Time. I'll talk to you guys then. Bye-bye. listening to the school of laughs podcast if you'd like to hear more school of laughs podcast you can find them on itunes and stitcher.com and don't forget to subscribe and leave a review for information on upcoming live and online classes visit schooloflaughs.com until next time stay tuned stay focused and stay money